Well, today we're going to be looking at uh, 2 Samuel chapter 22, if you want to go ahead and turn there. Uh, We are skipping over several chapters in 2 Samuel, chapters 13 through 21. Uh, Those chapters deal in large part with David's problems with his children, particularly his son Absalom. Uh, Problems that we pointed forward to uh, last week in discussing the consequences of David's sin. Uh, They are fascinating stories, and uh, I hope that perhaps you've read through them when earlier in the year our uh, daily Bible reading took us through 2 Samuel. Uh, But if not, consider reading through those chapters uh, this week. But we're going to allow the acknowledgement that those uh, chapters, to a significant extent, just deal with the consequences that we referenced last week to suffice. And we are going to move forward to chapter 22. Uh, This is our next to last Sunday in this series, and next week we're going to be looking at the last words of David. And then just to give you a little uh, advance notice, in June we will be moving into a series uh, on the books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Uh, Our scripture reading today is rather lengthy. We're going to read the entire 22nd chapter. And so to save you from the monotony of Uh, my voice throughout that entire time. Uh, I have asked three people to help us with the reading of today's text. And so as they come and read, just follow along with them. Uh, First, I have asked Grant Cahall to come and read verses 1 through 20. Why don't you welcome Grant? All right, I'm reading 2 Samuel 22 through uh, 1 through 20. Uh, David sang to the Lord the words of the song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of his enemies and all and from the hand of Saul. He he said, "The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold, stronghold, my refuge, and my savior from violent men. When you save me." I call the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I am saved from my enemies. The Lord of death swirled about me, and the torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I called out to my God. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came to his ears. The earth trembled and quaked. The foundations of heaven shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils, consuming fire from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared. He soared on wings of, of the wind. He made darkness his canopy around him. The dark rain clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, bolts of lightning blazed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot arrows and scattered the enemies, bolts of lightning, and rotted them. The valleys of the sea were exposed, and the foundations of the earth laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord. At the blast of his breath from his nostrils, he reached down from on high. And took hold of me. He drew me out of out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, 
from my foes who were too strong for me, then confronted me in the day of my disaster. But the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he was delighted in me. Amen. Give Grant a a continuing big hand. This is a fine young man right here. All right. I just need to address a technical difficulty. Uh, uh, Team, we will use those when when I get to rereading them. We don't need them right now. So, all right. Second person is uh, Steve Bonasso, and he's going to read verses 21 through 37. Yes, it's okay. You can clap for people when they're reading. All right, I'm reading 21 through 37 in 2 Samuel 22. The Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I am not guilty of turning from my God. All his laws are before me. I have not turned away from his decrees. I have been blameless before him, and I have kept myself from sin. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his sight. To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To the blameless, you show yourself blameless. To the pure, you show yourself pure. But to the devious, you show yourself shrewd. You, have, you save the humble, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them low. You, Lord, are my lamp. The Lord turns my darkness into light. With your help, I can advance against the troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. For who is God besides the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and keeps my way secure. He makes me feel like the feet of a deer. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He causes me to stand on the heights. He trains my hand for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. You make your saving help my shield. Your help has made me great. You provide a broad path for my feet so that my ankles do not give way. Amen. Thank you, Steve. He's a fine young man as well. All right, and now welcome Adele Tennant to read the rest of this chapter. I'm not a fine young man. I'm not a fine young man. <clears throat> Reading from the Brian Bird authorized version, which is the NIV, starting in verse 38. I pursued my enemies and crushed them. I did not turn back till they were destroyed. I crushed them completely, and they could not rise. They fell beneath my feet. You armed me with strength for battle. You made my adversaries bow at my feet. You made my enemies turn their backs in flight, and I destroyed my foes. They cried for help, but there was no one to save them. To the Lord, but he did not answer. I beat them as fine as the dust of the earth. I pounded and trampled them like mud in the streets. You have delivered me from the attacks of my people. You have preserved me as the head of nations. People I did not know are subject to me, and foreigners come cringing to me. As soon as they hear me, they obey me. They all lose heart. They come trembling from their strongholds. The Lord lives 
Praise be to my rock. Exalted be God, the rock, my Savior. He is the God who avenges me, who puts the nations under me, who sets me free from my enemies. You exalted me above my foes. From violent men you rescued me. Therefore, I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing praises to your name. He gives his king great victories. He shows unfailing kindness to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. Amen. Thank you, Adele. I appreciate them for helping me out with that. I also want to let you in on a little uh, behind-the-scenes thing that happened. Uh, I told Grant last night that he should be prepared to read from 2 Samuel 2. So this morning he found out 22. (laughs) He did a great job. Thank you, guys. Appreciate your help with this. Um, You know... What we've just read, as the uh, heading in most of your Bibles indicates, and as the text itself said, is a song uh, that was written by David. And, and I've mentioned a number of times here that determining the chronology of First and Second Samuel is a rather uh, challenging thing to do. And so there's some uncertainty as to whether this song was written by David when Saul had died and uh, David became king. You know, verse 1 references being delivered from the hand of Saul. Or whether it was written sometime later toward the end of David's life when the threat of Absalom had ended and uh, David is able to look back over an entire lifetime of being delivered from his enemies, including Saul. Uh, Verse 1 also references, as you notice, being delivered from all of his enemies. Uh, Whichever way it is really doesn't matter so much because whatever the case is, as our reading made clear, the song is a celebration of God's care of David, of God's protection of David, of God's active involvement in David's life. It's a song of praise uh, for the works of God uh, in David's life. And it's a song that is absolutely packed full of truth. Uh, Now, it's my view, and I think most people who uh, teach and preach from the Bible would agree with me that preaching from songs is very challenging. Uh, especially a song like this, which is uh, so lengthy. And so uh, there, there's just a lot of information here. So what I want to do today is I want to simply look at three smaller sections uh, within this song and the lesson or the truth uh, that those smaller sections teach us. Uh, so I first want to look at verses 2 through 7. I'm going to reread those, and uh, now we can put those up on the screen. Here's how they read. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold, my refuge, and my savior. From violent men you save me. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I am saved from my enemies. The waves of death swirled about me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I called out to my God. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came to his ears. In reading through this chapter, what I was especially drawn to uh, were David's experiences with danger. uh, His experiences with threatening situations. He speaks of waves of death 
having swirled around him, these torrents of destruction having overwhelmed him, cords of the grave coiling around him, and snares of, the, of death having confronted him. If you have never lived through a time in your life when those kinds of descriptions were true for you, I'm sorry to tell you this, but it is only a matter of time. It's going to happen. While we don't face the exact kind of threats that David did, we all at some point or other in our lives, and some of us multiple times throughout our lives, find ourselves in circumstances where these descriptions are true for us, or at least they feel true uh, for us. You know, maybe it's when you're waiting for a test result from the doctor. The test is either going to confirm that everything is okay and you can continue life as you always have, or the test is going to confirm that you have a major concern, a a major problem, perhaps even a life-threatening concern. Maybe it's when you lose your job. There's no savings in the bank. There are lots of bills due. You have no idea how you're going to make it, how you're going to keep the house, how you're going to feed the children, how you're going to pay for the sports, how you're going to pay for the car. And you feel overwhelmed by torrents of potential destruction. And perhaps it's when you're faced with a loneliness that Nobody else understands. You have friends, you're routinely in the company of a lot of people, but you feel unrelenting loneliness. Perhaps it's when something is happening in the life of a loved one and you have no ability, no power uh, to help them with it. And, And you worry about them and you feel helpless and there's just nothing, nothing that you can do and you feel overwhelmed by it. Perhaps it's when someone close to you dies. Uh, perhaps there uh, is a death that is just so, so hurtful to you and causes such pain that, that it actually takes your breath away and you feel as though you can't even take your next breath because your grief is so intense. Maybe it's your battle with depression. You know, this is something that probably doesn't get talked about in the church a whole lot, but depression is a, is a widespread issue in our culture. Uh, nobody seems to understand your life looks good, but but something, a chemical imbalance, some, some other cause has left you uh, depressed. Doctors are struggling to figure out how to help you, and you feel overwhelmed. Perhaps it is fear of the future, a fear for your own personal health. A lot of people fear uh, what the future holds for their health. A lot of people uh, fear overworld Uh, Events, And I think that fear grows deeper with many people uh, with each passing day. The end of the Cold War, we all thought, ushered us into a a new point in history where there was so much less to worry about. And yet we've found out actually we have a whole lot more to worry about. And so people struggle with fear. You know, perhaps the fear in your life leaves you feeling as if cords of the grave are trying to wrap themselves around your life. It's not exactly like David experienced, but everybody at some point or other comes to a time when they are face to face with a serious threat of some kind. And David's song tells us what we should do 
in such situations. David wrote in verse 7, In my distress, I called to the Lord, I called out to my God. When life is its most threatening, when life overwhelms us, when life throws something at us that is too much for us, this is what we are to do. We are to model David and we are to call out to the Lord. But here's what I've found. Too often, and I say this from my own experience, when life overwhelms us, we do the exact opposite of what we should do. We run from God. We run to things like entertainment and shopping. And alcohol and drugs and illicit relationships, various kinds of sin. We should run to God, but instead we run to these kind of things. And it is an effort usually to gain some relief from the threat that we feel. To to gain some Uh, relief from the fear of the the threatening situation that's troubling us. If nothing else, it's to try to just get our minds off of our uh, trouble for a while. But friends, these are dead-end paths. If you have tried it, you know it's a dead-end path. David shows us the only response to threat that holds any promise of real help, and that is calling out to God. And David from experience writes that when he called out to God, quote, from his temple, he heard my voice, my cry came to his ears. This lets us know that when we are in the threatening situation, and no matter how threatening the situation is, God is tuned into us. God is attentive to us. God is aware of what's going on. He's not surprised by anything going on in our lives. God is also listening to our appeals for help. And so when life is most threatening, David said that he cries out to God. God hears him and God Answers. Notice the descriptions of God that David writes and sings about. He, he describes God in these kind of terms. Rock, fortress, stronghold. These are images of God defending us, protecting us, shielding us. He goes on and uses uh, words like deliverer and savior. God isn't just a defender shielding from threats, but God actually delivers from threats. He actually saves us out of trouble. This phrase, the horn of my salvation, simply means strength. God is our defender. God is our strength. He is our deliverer. David writes, from violent men, you save me. And so we see from David that when life is threatening, he cries out to the Lord. The Lord hears him. The Lord defends him, strengthens him, and even delivers And saves him. All of us who belong to Jesus Christ, we have the assurance that in every situation, every threatening situation that life brings to us, God will do one of a few things for us. He will either deliver us out of it, He will strengthen and sustain us through it, 
or when the worst that happens can, that can happen happens and we come to that moment of our mortality and we breathe our very last breath, even then God gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because in that moment when we breathe our last breath, the Bible teaches that we are immediately in the presence of Christ. The Apostle Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. So think about what God has assured us of. He will either deliver us out of trouble, strengthen and sustain us through our trouble, or give us ultimate victory when it looks as though we've suffered ultimate defeat. Is that good news? That is good news right there. And all of this brings us to our first lesson from David's song. When life is its most threatening, God is dependable. And my prayer today is that all of us here would embrace this truth, that we would believe it deep down in our being, and that we would run to God whenever our lives are faced with difficulty, whenever our lives are visited by a threatening situation. If you're here today facing a threatening situation, you need to know what is true, that you can depend on God. The enemy of your soul is going to try to use your trouble to push you away from God. But don't allow him to do that. Run to God. Believe what is true, what David believed, that God is dependable even when life is most threatening. It's my prayer for you that you will run the right direction when trouble comes to your life. Look at verses 21 through 29. The Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I have not done evil by turning away from my God. All his laws are before me. I have not turned away from his decrees. I have been blameless before him and have kept myself from sin. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his sight. To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To the blameless, you show yourself blameless. To the pure, you show yourself pure. But to the crooked, you show yourself shrewd. You save the humble, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them low. You are my lamp, O Lord. The Lord turns my darkness to light. Now, you know David wrote this. Do you remember what we talked about, David, last week? All right. At first glance, it is a little difficult to take David seriously here in light of what we just learned last week. If you weren't here, let's review. David, this man after God's own heart, commits adultery. He covers it up, tries to, with deception. He abuses Uh, his power as king, and ultimately he murders the husband of his girlfriend. And now we read of this same person, I have been blameless before God and have kept myself from sin. (laughs) Oh, you have? (laughs) Really? 
you would fit perfect in 2014. <laughs> like, this is your spot. <laughs> Just do whatever you want, and God's cool with me. That's, that's where we are today, and that sounds like what David is saying. Is he clueless here? Is he being deceptive again? It seems like one of these would almost have to be the case. But it's with curious writings such as this that scholars can be very helpful to us. And so let me tell you what uh, some of them that I uh, appealed to this week in their books uh, shared with us. David's writing isn't so much about his personal fulfillment of righteousness as it is his confidence in Israel's position as God's covenant people. Bill Arnold uh, said that David is simply taking the standard Old Testament view that deliverance by God is also vindication of one's relationship with God. So though David did sin greatly, God's deliverance was proof that he was still approved by God, which we know he was forgiven. And uh, so, so this makes sense. He says David isn't talking about justification by works. Uh, He's not suggesting sinless perfection, but what he's really talking about here is a conscience void of offense toward God and man. And then the one that I thought was the most helpful was from a gentleman named Kenneth Chafin, and he offers this. David's claim of righteousness is the same as a person coming before God in prayer, aware of their sinfulness, yet coming with boldness because of a relationship entered into through Christ. Israel was in covenant with God, and this was the basis of David's claims. And this is what I want us to understand. You can ultimately uh, work through that on your own, but here's what I want us to understand and what I think is clear in this text. David, though clearly sinful, still had confidence to come before God. And if our scholars are to be believed, and I think they are, not based on his own merits, but based on God's covenant with his people. Now, here's a tendency that I have noticed in my own life. When I know that there is some unresolved sin in my life, and and I'm sorry to inform you, but occasionally that is true. Uh, I I know you didn't think that of of me, uh, but occasionally that is true. Here's what I tend to do. I tend to pull away from God. I tend to shrink back from my relationship with God. I find when there's some unresolved sin that I don't want to pray because there's this elephant in the room. And and like, how do I talk to God about, hey, God, I need this and this and this other thing. And I wish you'd bless the church with all this stuff. And God says, you know, hey, Brian, look at that thing over there. That's what I'd like to talk about right now. But I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about blessings. Let's talk about blessings. And so I find this tendency in myself. And this week at our home group, uh, we talked about this issue. We talked about uh, when you know you need to be repentant, but you're just not repentant. You're just not there yet. What do you do? It's a tough spot. How many of you have ever found yourself saying, God, I repent for fill in the blank. And then like a minute or two later, it just dawned on you. That's not even true. I don't feel like that. I'm not really sorry for that. I ought to be, but I'm not. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I'm guessing it's a pretty universally shared 
experience. What do you do? It's a tough spot. You know repentance is the right thing, but you can't fake repentance. I mean, you can't say, God, I repent and have him believe you if it's not true because he knows your heart. But we tend to do that. Or we pull back from God, which is exactly what we should not do. When there is an issue between us and God, and we are not repentant, but we should be, the right response is to pray that God would change our hearts. The right response is still to press into God, even in our sinfulness, but instead we tend to avoid God. Here's what I think we're supposed to take from verses 21 through 29. Though we are sinful, we can and we should approach God with confidence. We can do so because we don't approach God on our own merits. The basis of our relationship with God is not our sinless perfection because that's not true of any of us. We approach God, the basis of our relationship with God is not us at all. It is Jesus Christ and his sinless perfection. So if you're here today and there's sin in your life, and I'm guessing in a group this size, that might be true of somebody. Somebody. Maybe those on the back row over in this side. Um, Just a joke. Just a joke. I I looked at you all before I said that, and I I deemed that I could get away with joking with you, so I hope I was right. Um, Stop looking at them. (laughs) Come on. Help me out here. Bail me out of my regretful choice to... All right. We don't approach God on our own merit, but on Christ's merit. And so if you have sin in your life, here's what I am asking you today. Do not allow the sin in your life to cause you to stop communicating with God or to pull away from God. God still wants to talk to you. He still wants you to listen to him. Your greatest hope of getting your mind and your heart right are to continue to approach him, to continue to engage with him, to continue to press into him, even when everything's not right in your life. So don't allow the enemy to talk you into avoiding God. That is simply a tactic of the enemy to get you deeper in to sin. That's all it is. Though we are sinful, we can still approach God with confidence because our talking to him, our basis of relationship is Christ, not us. Think about this in your own life, those of you who are parents. I don't know about you, but some of the best moments that I believe we have as parents are when our children come to us for help Even though they know to get the help, they have to acknowledge something that's going to displease us. I find that to be one of the most rewarding times of parenthood. 
And you know how you respond inside. You're like, but you want to help and you're glad they came. Here's the thing about God. He is a much better parent than any of us. He's a much better parent. He loves much more perfectly. He has much better advice. He's a much better parent. And so if you have displeased him, he still wants to talk with you. He still wants to fellowship with you. He wants you to come to him. Even if there's something uncomfortable you have to admit, he wants you to come to him, to keep pressing into him. And when we do that, like David, we can see God turn our darkness into light. Keep pressing in to God. And so in these two sections that we have looked at to this point, uh, there, there uh, is a, uh, a unifying theme in these two things. They both present situations that tempt us to pull away from God, tempt us to run from God. But the right response, the response of David, and the only response that offers any hope and any help is to call out to God, draw close, run to him. When David faced threats, what did he do? He called out and ran to God. When David sinned, he called out and he ran to God. And it was this constant turning to God that is a large part of why David is called in spite of all his failures, a man after God's own heart. What the enemy means to use to distance us from God, we should actually allow to draw us near to God. Now look at verses 47 through 51. The Lord lives, praise be to my rock. Exalted be God, the rock, my savior. He is the God who avenges me, who puts the nations under me, who sets me free from my enemies. You exalted me uh, above my foes from violent men. You rescued me. Therefore, I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing praises to your name. He gives his king great victories. He shows unfailing kindness to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. Now, my view is that this was likely written later in David's life as he is reflecting back on a lifetime of God's involvement with him, a lifetime of God's care uh, for him. If you take the whole of David's life, you, you realize that it was a life filled with many good things. He had great victories. He had significant accomplishments. He walked for much of his life very close with God. It was also a life filled with many Difficult things, being a fugitive, failing God on a grand scale, suffering some defeats, having his own children turn against him, losing uh, his children to death. David experienced the highest of highs and David experienced the lowest of lows. In that sense, even though his experience was different than ours, our lives are actually quite similar to his. All of our lives are filled with many good things and all of our lives are filled with many difficult things. Every life that has ever lived has some good highs and has some really low lows. 
David factored in all of that as he looked back over his life and he determined some important things. He determined that the Lord lives and he determined that the Lord is worthy to be praised. This is the third lesson, the third truth that we find in David's song. When we consider all the works of God, praise should be our response. When we consider the blessings of common grace, beautiful sunrises and beautiful sunsets, Saturdays in the backyard enjoying the company of family and friends, we should respond by praising God. When we consider God's moment-by-moment love and care for our lives, the blessings that he gives us as his children, the strength he provides, the times when he does deliver us out of trouble, we should respond in praise. When we consider all that Christ has done for us, condescending to become one of us, living a sinless life in fulfillment of God's righteous demands, sacrificing himself for our sins, paying our debt in full, rising to life, proving that we have been forgiven. We should respond with praise. When we consider that God has promised that Christ will return and that forever we will live with him in the world that he created as he originally intended it to be, we should respond with praise. When we consider that forever we are going to experience life without sin. Think about that. Think of how different life would be without sin without your own sin and the sin that's going on all around us every day, how different it would be. That's the future that awaits all of us who know Christ. Life without sin. Joy without sorrow. We experience joy right now, but sorrow is never too far away. It's always right around the corner. Just as soon as you feel like joy is your experience, there's sorrow waiting to greet you again. But the future that awaits us is a life filled with joy, absent any sorrow. Health without sickness. Awful lot of us in here today have relatively good health, but we have no promise of good health tomorrow. It's always just a temporary thing. It's always just a matter of time. Even if we're blessed to be healthy our entire lives, at some point that thing called old age happens to us. And it's not happening to anybody in here, but it happens to to some people out in the world that, you know, don't live right and and all of that. Um, But old age happens to all of us. Good health is just, in this life, a temporal thing. It's not going to last forever. But the future that awaits us when Christ returns is a future of health without sickness. No more, hey, it's just a matter of time. I'll I'll be sick eventually. None of that. Complete health forever. All tears removed 
No more crying, no more death. When we consider all of that, praise should be our response. We should praise him with our mouths and we should worship him with our entire being. Our whole lives should be given in praise to God. He is worthy. He is our rock. He is our deliverer. He is our savior king. He is our God. These are the three important lessons that I hope that you will take with you from David's song. Learn through the ups and downs of an entire lifetime. When life is most threatening, God is dependable. Though we are sinful, we can approach God with confidence. And when we consider all the works of God, praise should be our response. Why don't you stand?